Hey, hey, welcome to another week. This week, I'm going to start kind of, uh, it's not going to be, you know, in order, like it's not like the next three, four weeks are going to be on this. But every once in a while, I think I'm going to come back to this topic. And that is, uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I mean, we can look all around today and see all these different things, these whatever, whether they be political movements, social movements, whatever it may be, that they're they're under the guise of something that's really good for society on the whole. And, you know, this is kind of looking at it from the standpoint of the average person who gets involved or the average person who gets caught up in it. Because, I mean, again, like, well, like a lot of you guys being my listeners, I think you're going to kind of share a similar opinion that you know, the, the best motivations or, you know, realistically, there is zero good motivation coming from the top of kind of the organization of a lot of these movements or these political events. But I don't believe that people who support them or get caught up in them or really, you know, I mean, the dangers in this are apparent and I've talked about them before, but who really start to attach the their identity to these movements. I don't think that those people all are in it for the wrong reasons. I think a lot of people get swept up in it. Uh, they get carried away. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure I'm guilty of it at some points too, and I'm probably just blind to it. But I think that people do get blind to, you know, what the the true motivations of some of these movements are, what is really kind of the undercurrent of what is going on and what, uh, what kind of the destructive nature of these movements really are that they ca- get caught up in. And I mean, you can apply that to to just about anything going on along today. Well, not anything, but, or not everything, I guess. God, it's late. Uh, But, you know, I don't think I need to point out anything specific. But what I would like to point out is, you know, a couple of historical events or historical movements. And, you know, we can look at the rise of, you know, the National Socialist Party or the Nazis or... Uh, the communist revolutions through Russia and the USSR. Well, I don't think, obviously, that there was ever anything positive in the motivations of the leaders of these movements. I mean, I think that's very clear. Hindsight's twenty twenty in that. I mean, realistically, there were a lot of people who could have told you that while the movements were going on. But again, they they caught steam, they started to gain momentum, and it got out of control. But the interesting thing is that, you know, despite the horrible motivations of the leaders of these movements, followers and supporters were often duped into helping to facilitate this change. And, you know, it was always based on aspects that seemed to be aimed at something better. You know, whether it be in communism trying to fight for some version of equity uh, throughout the population, or, you know, when it was (laughs) with fascism, it was trying to you know, purify the race, trying to cleanse everything, trying to make sure that the environment was sterile and that people were safe and productive. And, you know, again, both of these, you know, it's funny because both of them, while being at polar ends of the political left-right spectrum, both, you know, are very authoritarian in the basis of the movements. I think that's obviously that's really clear. So, it's interesting doing actually a, a political analysis when you have the four quadrants. It goes from authoritarian to libertarian on the uh, y axis, so the vertical, and then your horizontal axis, the x, is 
I forget what the one was that I, I had read it. But anyway, it's between left and right. And that's usually based on economics is, is ultimately what that, that axis is determined on. And then uh, the top down, the, the Y axis is based on how much government control you believe there should be within the system. And so it kind of plots you on a grid rather than just viewing it as a, a left versus right thing. I, I think they're really interesting. I've I've done a bunch of them. I usually end up just about dead center on the x-axis and very far into the libertarian on the y-axis. Um, I don't think that would be a surprise to just about any of you. But uh, anyway, if you ever if you ever want to, they're actually pretty interesting to do. At least I find them anyway when I've we've got a group of friends who do them and then we just compare and talk about them. So anyway, going back, um, so taking that saying literally, the, the idea that you know, paving, sorry, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Let's take that literally. So let's say you're building a road or a train track, you know, to carry boxcars or whatever else to wherever the end destination may be. Um, One mastermind has to plan the direction and the, you know, general layout of that road. But in order to actually build the road to get it from A to B, it takes a workforce. It takes a mob. It takes a willing population of people who usually get duped by kind of the shiny facade of whoever the enthusiastic speaker is or whoever whoever it is. Um, they get duped into believing it and they believe the good parts of it. And again, regardless of the intention of this designer, this political figure, this social activist, whatever... They need a workforce who believes that it's for something good. And so they, again, they may have no idea uh, what the the nefarious destination is of this path, but they are 100% instrumental in facilitating its creation. And that's something to keep in mind because, again, looking at today, I don't think that a lot of people are necessarily um, aware of the undercurrent of a lot of this stuff or where the end of this road leads to but they're absolutely necessary to getting the job done to getting from a to b to actually facilitating this societal change and again as you saw you know the nuremberg trials after world war ii um you know those people aren't blameless they still are held to account um they were judged guilty for their part in it even if you know, that that whole idea of just following orders, it didn't hold up. And so now, again, this is kind of just the layout, the basis of this idea of the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And again, it's going to be kind of, I think it's something that I'm going to get back to every once in a while here. Um, because as I started to write this episode out and dig into, you know, different examples, it came down to, uh, I more started to key in on one aspect that's going on now that's kind of you know, bothering me, bothering, uh, this isn't an original thought, it's bothering a lot of people, but that's more along the the lines of the diversity, inclusion, and equity uh, train of thought, and the way that that's kind of being pushed. You know, to me, where I kind of focused on it was specifically in the workforce, or in, you know, the academic field, STEM, whatever, but however, However, this is getting jammed into workforces. This is kind of the direction that I'm going this week. So anyway, uh, that's kind of that whole first seven and a half minutes. That's the intro to what this kind of series is going to be, what I'm trying to explain here uh, with the road to hell is paved with good intentions. 
it means that you may not be aware of where the end of this road leads to, but keep in mind that, you know, if it does end up at its final destination, a lot of the times the people who facilitated getting there, whether they were aware of it or not, they will be held to account for their part. And so I just think that's something to be cognizant of. You should be aware of it. You should keep it in mind. Now, to give an example that is completely socially insignificant, but it was financially very damaging, um, this is an example that I've done where, you know, I had the best of intentions with what I was doing, but I just didn't think it through and I messed it up pretty good for the company, right? So when I was, I don't know, I would have been 24, 25, I got put in charge of a cable pole. So we were working at an oil field site and we had a bunch of these different little wellheads that we were pulling communication cables to. It was eight wellheads. I had four reels of cable. Now, I had been on a lot of cable poles before, but I had never ran one. And basically, we had been doing other cable poles around site. Uh, the foreman had realized that I had actually I was actually able to read prints, which can be <laughs> dangerous at times, like in this story. But uh, so I was put in charge of pulling these communication lines, all of the all of the data lines to these four well or these eight wellheads off of these four reels. Now, my intention was to just get it done as fast as we could, uh, just try to prove that, you know, we were getting something done quickly and that it was efficient. Now, looking back, like, again, this is eight or nine years ago. Looking back on it now, it seems like such an obvious mistake that I made, but at the time, I did not realize at all. I just didn't take the time to think it through, and I was just purely trying to do the best that I could um, in the shortest time possible. So these four reels and these eight wellheads were all spaced equally distanced apart. So it makes sense now looking back, you should have pulled wellhead one and wellhead eight off of the same reel, right? The one that's closest to the control station and the one that's farthest from the control station because each of these reels had roughly the same amount of cable on them. Well, I didn't do that. I pulled wellhead one, wellhead two, and wellhead three off of that same reel because we had enough length. Then I looked at the meter marks, realized oh, this last chunk of cable that's on this reel isn't long enough to get to pump head four. What am I supposed to do with it? And then it dawned on me very quickly how badly I had messed up because now I had three wheel, three reels left to pull the five farthest wellheads. And each of those reels was designed to pull two wellheads. So I had to do one and eight together, two and seven, three and six, and then four and five together off of the same reels. Well, I just shot myself in the foot. Now I can't do this. Now I can pull four and five together. I can pull six. I can pull seven. And that's my three reels, right? So maybe I did that math right. I don't know. I'm not going to listen back to it and edit it. But you get the gist. So <laughs> I had to go in to the foreman and the supervisor's office with my head down, tail tucked between my legs, and explain to them what had happened on this site. Now, uh, these cables weren't easy to get. They are very... Uh, there are very specific specs for um, the type of cable that was used, the number of conductors, the you know all, all these all the specs about this cable is specialty ordered. It's not something that's regularly in stock. So I just set the project back by you know two to three weeks, you know lead time on getting that cable to site, and that was based off of me having the best intentions at, at, in mind, but failing to think it through, failing to really understand the task at hand, and ultimately it uh, it backfired. I mean, 
you know, it, uh, <laughs> I just, I, I didn't even have an excuse, right? I went in, I, I, I just, I messed up and, you know, I mean, it, it went over all right. It's not like we were on a, a massive, massive push to get that project done right away. It's not like it was a shutdown or anything. It was a, it was a new site. Luckily there were other trades that were kind of behind schedule as well, but again, it looked bad on me. I felt like an idiot. Um, it turned into a massive learning point though, because it's, it, it's something that I have not repeated that mistake again yet, knock on wood, but we'll see. So, um, that was just an example of where I've messed up. I've got caught up in that before. Again, it's not a socially significant one, but financially it was, it was very damaging. Now, again, before we get into this whole diversity, inclusion, and equity theme, uh, the idea of of this topic, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, doesn't mean you should not try to make things better, or you shouldn't do whatever you can to try to contribute and add to society. It just means that you've got to think it through, and you've got to focus small. I know I've said that so many times, is to just you know, focus on yourself, focus on improving yourself, improving your family, improving your friend group, just these small little ripple effects that eventually can turn into waves. But it's the only way to really look at it. Because again, like, and this is something different, it'll probably be another topic I'll talk about in this same thread one day. But, you know, the law of unintended consequences, like we have no idea if we try to reach too far, reach too big, try to change something all at once, um, what's going to come out of it. And so that's why it's important to go incremental. That's why it's important to kind of take your time if you're trying to trying to bring about big change. It's not something that happens, you know, at the drop of a hat. It's something that actually takes thought. It takes planning. It, it takes caution above all things because you have no idea what other events you could trigger, you know, based on repercussions from whatever you're doing. And so anyway, again, that's just a, a little thing I wanted to add in is that it's not that you shouldn't try to be better. It's that you should try to make yourself better. Try to make your friend group better. Try to do more for your family, improve your family situation, start local. And then, you know, if it starts to have that ripple effect, you start to get other people on board, then sure. But it's got to be something that's organic, that's not forced and that's not, you know, tagged as some kind of a revolution, so what is diversity, inclusion, and equity? It's basically, and you know, we're going to be focusing it on the workforce in, you know, specifically the STEM fields, but, you know, we'll give a few different examples of what would, what would the world look like if that were the case. So it's just basically saying that you need to have equal representation to uh, the population in every single field across the board. So this was kind of triggered by... I was reading about the passing of a chemist, actually. Uh, his name was Tomasz Hudlicki. Uh, he's from the Czech Republic. He was a leading chemist at one of the Canadian uh, universities. And anyway, I'm, I'm just starting to read about this, so um, don't butcher me over the fact that I don't have all the facts about this. But uh, the gist of it so far from what I've been reading, I've read a couple articles, is that he had been kind of at the top of his field for a long time, a number of years, uh, the better part of a decade, it sounds like, won multiple prestigious awards. Um, and then he ended up writing a paper that was talking about how uh, this, this ideology of diversity, inclusion, and, exclus er, and equity was watering down 
the STEM fields, uh, chemistry in particular. Now, he this got him in a ton of hot water, obviously, by um, the woke crowd, the, the blue hairs. But basically what he was saying is that he thinks that in that field, it should be based entirely on merit, entirely on value, and not on the color of your skin, uh, what gender you are, or, you know, what your belief system is, it should be based on value, on merit. Again, this idea of a meritocracy, which I've talked about plenty of times, and it's going to be a recurring theme, obviously, but, um, and he was, you know, raked over the coals for this opinion. Uh, His own university turned its back on him. Uh, A bunch of these different organizations that he'd been associated with, that he had, you know, led and brought a lot of money to their institutions. They all turned their back on him based on this opinion uh, because, again, it doesn't mesh with today's zeitgeist. So this is just insane, right? I mean, then it got me thinking on different fields, right? Like, would we want to see, you know, I've been watching the NHL playoffs here recently. Do I want to watch hockey, basketball, uh, F1 racing, football, do I want to watch all these different sports if we just, you know, dropped our bar for expectations? If, you know, me being a beer league hockey goalie, if in the name of diversity, <laughs> inclusion, and equity, you know, I may not have the same skill set, I may not be as tall as these NHL goalies, but God damn it, I should be in the NHL because they don't have enough people who are five foot nine playing goalie in the league, and I represent a different portion of the population. I should be there. No, it, it, it's ridiculous to say that. It should be based on merit, based on achievement, based on, you know, how much hard work these guys have put in. And yeah, there's obviously going to be, if you're genetically predisposed, especially in basketball with height, or I mean, it's even translating to the NHL as far as goaltending, but um. Yeah, sorry, there are some genetic differences that people are going to get by on. But, you know, if you want to water it down, first off, um, the level of competition is going to drop off significantly. Uh, Like if I was playing a net against Connor McDavid, I mean, there is no competition there. There's, (laughs) he's going to, he's going to zip 12 by me every game. But the, uh, so what's the point? Like it doesn't work. Uh, Professional sports collapses right away. Now, another example that we could also look at is, and this is happening now, is like military fitness. You know, they're dropping the requirements for, you know, what you have to do to get into the military. And maybe this is, you know, not just, well, it is in the name of this die doctrine, but that's D-I-E. So again, I'm just, I'm sick of saying the three words. So because of this die doctrine, they are dropping the requirements, the physical requirements to get into the military, which it seems pretty stupid. I mean, whatever your opinion is on military involvement in global affairs, because I, I have pretty strong opinions on that. I'm, yeah, I'm, (laughs) I'm not much of a militant guy myself, but I support anybody who wants to, who wants to lay their life on their line, on the line for their country, for their family. I support those individuals a hundred percent. But anyway, this isn't about that. Um, what does that do? So it waters down your military force, it waters down your military effectiveness. And even when I look at it compared to a workforce, like if I'm looking to my left and right as I'm working, like I want to know that these people have the physical capacity 
to get me out of a jam if I'm in a life or death scenario, right? And I'm talking about physically carrying myself or carrying me out. Now, again, if you're in the military and you're looking left and right and you've got, you know, Paul Blart Mall Cop on one side and, I don't know, some tiny 80-pound woman on the other side, like, and I'm a 180-pound guy, um, you know, I'm starting to get worried. Uh, Can they actually carry me out? Can they perform their duties to the same level? Um, Maybe not. I don't know. Um, But again, it's just more of where this idea is actually putting people's lives at danger, because that's what kind of it bothers me the most about it. And again, so I'm going to go now again. Okay. So after professional athletes, like now what do we want to water down our doctors, our engineers? Like when does this end? Is it when, you know, somebody does a substandard engineering job on a, on a bridge but because of this die doctrine, they got in over somebody who had better marks and who was more suited for the job. Well, they got in, substandardly engineered a bridge, and, you know, let's say 400 people die one day. Like, is, is that where we're going to have to get to before people realize the pitfalls in this ideology? Like, it, to me, I mean, they're all over the place. They're pretty evident. But at what point will we get something that's big enough to wake people up to the fact that this is extremely dangerous to society overall, right? Like, and these are obviously extrapolated examples, but, um, you know, this is where it could lead to, like, very realistically in the next decade or so, right? So it's just, it's important to kind of keep this in mind. I mean, just because you have the best intentions of you want, you want people to be able to get the jobs that they desire or that they work hard for, I mean you still got to earn it. There's always going to be competition in everything. I don't care what anybody says. Competition is good. It brings out the best in people. It brings out the best in the workforce. It brings out the best in in any field that you're in. So again, this is just where it's going. It's it's um, You can have all the best intentions, but um, you got to think it through. <laughs> you got to think it through. Again, I go back to that cable pole that I had talked about. Like, I had all the best intentions, but I ended up making a massive mistake. And luckily, it didn't have any life-threatening consequences or big social catastrophes. But financially, it was a big burden. And (laughs) that was my own fault. So when it comes to this kind of stuff, uh, that's again, that's why I talk about meritocracy. It has to be based on ability and merit exclusively. Um, If you're basing it on anything else... All it's doing is lowering the technical standards of whatever field that is. Again, equity does not mean equality of opportunity. Equity means equality of outcome. All right, so now getting into my closing point, uh, where, you know, as I was writing out the notes for this episode, where it all directed me, it brought me back to when I was mining. Now, when I was underground, I'd say it was pretty safe to say that 95% of the daily underground workforce was male. And I think the the reasons for that are fairly obvious. Uh, Work was very hard. It was very heavy. Carrying and maneuvering a 90-pound jack leg isn't exactly easy work. So it required, you know, (laughs) a certain amount of size, a certain amount of strength, a certain amount of endurance required all that. I mean, let alone just the job in general, you're working for two weeks straight, three weeks straight, we had varying shifts up there. But whether you're doing 14 straight days at 12 hour days or 21 straight days at 12 hour days, 
that's going to draw a particular workforce. So getting beside all that. So that's, this didn't mean that 95% of the workforce for the entire mining operation was male, but based on the doctrine of, you know, the DIE, diversity, inclusion, and equity, that would call for 50% roughly of the underground staff to be female, right? And this is only looking at the gender gap. I'm not looking at different ethnicities because there were different different ethnicities down underground, but I don't know. I don't know if they matched up to, you know, broader society's percentages. I have no idea because I don't have those numbers in front of me. Now, again, to my female listeners, like, is this a dream job to you guys? Does this sound like something that you want to be forced into? Because I guarantee you, if they were trying to implement 50% of the underground workforce to be female, it would mean forcing a lot of women to go underground. Because from what I saw, I don't, you know, well, there there wasn't a big draw, like there wasn't a big number of women who were choosing to go underground or wanting to go underground. It's not like there was a long lineup of people clamoring to get underground to run a jack leg all day. But I, I mean, from what I know, like most guys that I know <laughs> didn't want any part of working underground. And so again, like maybe this seems unimportant to some of you guys. Like after all, uh, by most workers' safety manuals, you're protected under law that you only have to be able to lift up to 50 pounds. You know, anything above that, you can ask for assistance. And so surely underground, you would have been protected by law that, you know, if you couldn't walk around this 95, 90 pound, whatever it was, jack leg, then you could get a hand, right? And there's no reason that you'd be fired for that. That's perfectly fine. But what about in an emergency? Because I was also part of the mine rescue team. Now, the important thing about that, now, we had mostly men on the mine rescue team. Each rescue team consisted of six people. Uh, Going underground at a time were five of them with one person coordinating on the surface. Now, on our teams, again, there we had, I believe it was three or four rotating teams. We would kind of stick with our own teams just so you could mesh a little bit better. But I know for sure that, you know, we had uh, one woman on our team. I know that there were at least three other women involved in the mine rescue team. And, you know, with, with our team's practice and the other team that we would practice against primarily, uh, in both cases, we had women coordinating the rescue efforts. And that was mainly because, you know, we would draw for the mine rescue teams a variety of skill sets, right? So on the surface, we would usually have one of the women from logistics or management or, you know, site management. They would be on the mine rescue team and they would be coordinating and communicating between the underground rescue team and emergency services that were being called or coordinating whatever type of machinery we needed on the surface, coordinating whatever rescue attempt would take place once the five people got their casualty up to surface. And the reason why this is so important is, again, um, miners aren't small people. I don't think you can, you know, if I were to paint a picture for you, I would say the average miner probably weighed in the neighborhood of 270 to 290 pounds. Obviously, I'm much smaller than that. I'm 5'9", weighing in at about a buck 80. You know, when I was underground mining in better shape, I was probably around a buck 90, a buck 95. But again, I was small for the mine rescue team. But we had to have a variety of knowledge and experience on there. So 
I was primarily on the team just as a physical asset to help carry and lug weight around and also in case there was an electrical emergency underground because again you would need to be able to isolate the area that was affected you'd have to make sure that it was safe for people to enter and that required a certain level of expertise on the electrical system of the underground of the underground workings so again we we would pick these teams based on skill sets it was not based on gender on you know uh orientation, on (laughs) beliefs, on race, on anything else. It was based on what your skill sets were that could bring this to the team. Now, again, we're only kind of focusing on the gender gap this time for gender diversity. So I had alluded to that most of the miners were around 270 to 290 pounds. That was not the case for everybody. We had a couple of miners underground who were above 350 pounds. And those were actually the people that we would uh, use, um, well, not, we wouldn't use them physically because again, these are practices, but we would weigh down our sleds with 350 pounds is what we started at just to get an idea of what we might be up against in case we had a rescue. And again, like this is in an emergency situation, like this isn't your average run of the mill day, but if you've got a 350 pound casualty or injury, 350 pounds of dead weight that you have to haul two kilometers uphill <laughs> to get to surface. Because again, we had to do this under the worst case scenario. So let's say it's in, again, we were all gassed up. We had uh, all of our breathing apparatuses on. We were in an enclosed circle or an enclosed loop system for, for breathing. And uh, if, if the environment didn't allow for vehicle access, if there were multiple blockages in the way, whatever the case may be, we had to do this manually by hand carrying 350 pounds two kilometers up the ramp up to surface to where then we could get mechanical advantage mechanical help to get that person carried to safety now if we had you know a couple of 110 130 pound women on the crew and i'm going to emphasize this i was small for the mine rescue team i was taxed to the absolute limit trying to take part in this so when we have the five-man team you've got one person leading four people are on uh, the sled carrying this this casualty up to surface and so you would rotate right like everybody that your your leader the commander the person in ahead and again we're all tethered together we had to do this under smoke conditions so that you have no visibility you can maybe see your hand if it's 10 inches above your in front of your face but you've got the blind walking cane you're walking around you've got whistles for your commands because you you know you can't really see or hear people accurately but you can hear a loud whistle so you'd be walking up and then you would rotate you would slowly lower the casualty you would walk you know I think we were doing counterclockwise so the person at the front right or I guess it would be the front left shoulder of the casualty if they're facing up they would move into the leadership position and then the leader would get back on the sled so that and you would rotate this way for every I don't know, every five to seven minutes, we'd usually rotate. So then you could also, you weren't just lifting with your right arm, you would then rotate to your left arm, give yourself a bit of a break. But anyway, this is really long winded. But I'm just trying to emphasize how physically taxing this was. And again, like I'm working alongside guys who are like 250 pounds jacked, and we're all getting exhausted going to surface. Again, you're under air, like you're sweating, you're 
you're breathing in and out, that air is getting hotter. No matter what the cooling packs are doing, you're still sweating buckets as you're going up this, this decline. Now imagine, again, <laughs> that's a long way of going back to it, but imagine again that you had a couple of 110, 120, 130 pound women on this sled and you're trying to carry 350 pounds up the decline. We're also keeping in mind that these air packs have a limited amount of time. So you can't actually go that far underground and then come back up. You have to do it fairly quickly. These are under excruciating circumstances. Um, things where, you, again, you can't see, you can't hear, you can't, it, it's, it's crazy. Like some of the practices that we did. And what does that do? This now becomes a deadly situation, not just for the casualty or the injury, but also for the other four members of your mine rescue team. Now, in the name of diversity and inclusion and equity, you're now literally putting lives at risk. And this is where this all kind of, you know, the rubber hits the road with this thing. People have to think this thing through. Like, is this really what you want? Let alone... Like I had said earlier, you're probably going to have to literally force women to go underground because it's not exactly a a glamorous or very enticing job. I mean, sure, the the pay is great, but there's a lot of other jobs that are a lot less physically demanding that where the pay is great too. So it just, you would have to force them into the workforce and then you're also going to be putting everybody else in that workforce at risk. So again, that was just kind of... It, it it's maddening to me, right? It, it, and I don't think, again, this isn't an attack on anybody who who does believe in this. It's just maybe a course correction because maybe you haven't thought this through. Maybe you haven't thought where the end of this road goes or what type of dangers this actually will put workforces and people, you know, what type of danger it'll put people into. But anyway, um, that's it for this week. But I do plan on kind of coming back to this topic again just that the road to hell is paved with good intentions because I think that's one thing nowadays that it's really evident that if you were to really analyze a lot of these pushes these social movements these you know I mean I'm just going to say it like and they'll self-identify it too is they're trying to stage revolutions in different areas right but again I think the people who are orchestrating them and I think a lot of you guys will have this same viewpoint just because you listen to this but I think that they're they understand where this is going and the undermining effect that it'll have, just the the undercurrents and the way it'll, you know, just the damaging effects it'll have on society. But I don't think that the average person who believes these ideologies does think it through that much. So maybe this is just an encouragement to think it through a little bit more. And, you know, I never do this. Well, maybe I do in the pre-recorded outro. I don't know. I never listen to it. But uh, for a call to action this week, if I could... If you could just mention this podcast to one friend, to one coworker, to to somebody who you think might, you know, draw something from it or might enjoy it or I don't know, maybe whatever. I'm just trying to grow this community a little bit. I know that I'm massively at fault for this because I've been kind of taking a, a foot off the gas with this going bi-weekly rather than weekly. But again, we're almost done the renos and the, the maintenance to the house. So we're going <laughs> to, I'm going to be getting there again. I'm hoping to do one again next week and and start to mix in guests again. It's just, yeah, I want to get the office all built before before I really start interviewing people again so I have a comfortable spot to do it from. But anyway, yeah, if you could just share this with one person, uh, two people, if you're really fe- feeling <laughs> generous, um, but I'd really appreciate it. And again, 
thank you so much for for coming back this week and uh i'll talk to you again next week all right everyone that's it for today i hope you found some value in this week's episode if you did and are interested in more content like this please rate review subscribe and recommend the podcast to a friend i really appreciate all the feedback you've given me to this point and look forward to hearing from you again as always the podcast page is the plaid jacket philosopher on facebook at jacket plaid on twitter and at plaid jacket philosopher on instagram that concludes this week's episode thank you so much for the continued support and especially to those of you who reach out weekly with comments on each episode have a great week and i'll talk to you all again soon